politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Miniman standing at the ready to join us in this fight for our life, our liberty, and our property here at CR Podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back here Friday, end of the week, the final week before Judgment Day. And we could spend the remaining days and hours speculating about the polls and who's right, who's wrong. Or we could focus on what actually will matter, no matter what, the day after. As I've noticed, the most bizarre aspect of this election is that the 800-pound gorilla in the room is absent. It's not the economy or inflation. Both are very bad, but that's downstream from the Fourth Reich. The Fourth Reich is the issue, but probably the biggest symptom of it are people dropping dead left and right, death rates skyrocketing, birth rates plummeting from a product that achieved a level of a religious cult devotion from every state actor in the world pretty much. And that they're continuing on this technology for more shots and other therapeutics And it is poisonous as can be and is killing and maiming millions of people. And there's barely anyone who will talk about it. This is almost embodied through the Pennsylvania race. Where you have, bizarrely, even Trafalgar only has Oz up two points over Fetterman. It's it's really bizarre. Everyone thought after the debate, I mean, that was the most absurd thing ever unveiled by a candidate or exposed and one would think that Fetterman would be down to 20%. Now, I still think Oz will probably win, but that's the irony. Fetterman is only in that vegetative state because of the therapeutic for which Oz refuses to talk about and actually still to this day supports Welcome to the Uniparty. So we're going to talk today to a mother of an injured son severely injured by the shot, to go through her journey, which is the journey of countless hundreds of thousands and even millions of people who are dealing with the poisonous shot, not heard around the world, kept quiet. The biggest issue in, in probably, the, probably the biggest geopolitical issue in global history, how you could have something that was given to the entire globe Killed so many people, and it's not even a story. No promises to redress this. No promises from state legislatures to immediately ban their respective departments of health from pushing this shot or any technology built off of it unless a commission that they create certifies that it's safe. That's something every state could and should be doing. But we don't see any of that. By the way, it was funny that Oz made his name, uh, you know, being tied to Oprah, and then Oprah goes and endorses Fetterman. <laughs> love it. You got to love it. Rhino is as Rhino does. But what is going on is absolutely insane. We have excess death rates, excess mortality in August. Pick the month of August. Up 17% in Australia, 24.3% in Greece, 16% in Finland, 16.5% in Germany. in the UK, 10% in Norway and Switzerland, and 16.5% in Sweden. We have the Moderna CEO is promising to use this technology for everything. Recently at a talk in Australia, this is from Trial Site News, Bansel, the CEO, says that mRNA technology is the key to everything. The company is developing medications solely based on mRNA, including a treatment which can repair heart tissue, (laughs) even though Moderna's COVID vaccine was shelved in some European countries because of concerns about possible myocarditis. And like we're going to talk about with our guest, other heart ailments that are not only caused by the spike protein, which is endemic, obviously, to a coronavirus, but the actual mRNA lipid nanoparticle platform is also the problem, not just the payload. So we'll, we'll speak to Heather coming up soon. But folks, 
This is everywhere we turn, there are problems. I, I, I wanted to mention, obviously, this, uh, this business with birth rates and miscarriages and stillbirths is getting really, really serious. I mentioned the other day, Igor Chudov uh, noted that if you look at VSAFE, so the pregnancy registry in VSAFE, and you, you take a look at the rate of miscarriage for Pfizer and Moderna, Moderna's uh, rate of miscarriage was, was much, much higher. Okay? And we noted at the time that what that demonstrated was that clearly there's a dose dependency that directly correlates with those sorts of injuries, that the only saving grace why Pfizer wasn't more was because it was a lower dose, much lower dose, like you know a third of the dose of Moderna. And and by the way, like the p value was was through the roof, or or you know really low. In other words, um, the probability of that effect, meaning that that variance between Pfizer and Moderna being left to chance was like one in five million. But at the time, it, what, what we also noted was that the raw number seemed to be low. Moderna was like 40% more, but it was like 4 or 5%. Okay, well, that doesn't seem to be below the average miscarriage rate. And at the time, I said there are different factors as to why that's obscured the way they laid out the denominators because mainly this was a problem with pregnancies that were in the first trimester. You know, once the babies were developed, the the the, the rate of you don't, you don't really find that the shots are causing stillbirth problems at that level. But what you do find is the kids are born with problems, and it's a neonatal death, and all these kids born with uh, heart problems, autoimmune, immune suppression, um, and 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 you know we're really going to start seeing a lot of things with RSV, and of course now they're out there to promote an RSV shot. But Archimedic blog, Dr. Syed, he has a post, and people have been sending this to me, that's very, very important, that goes through this. If you want to read it, it's titled, Igor Just Blew the Lid Off V-Safe Pregnancy Registry. And he really goes into an in-depth way of parsing out the denominator. And if you do it the way he does... For the first six weeks of pregnancy, that's the key. Those who got the shot within the first six weeks of pregnancy, the rate of miscarriage actually is 10% for Pfizer, 14.3 for Moderna, and 12.4 for J&J. Although obviously the raw numbers for J&J, the sample size is small. 14% for Moderna, that's nearly three times the background rate for miscarriages and confirmed pregnancies. And um, the rate for of induced abor- abortion is also higher for Moderna as well. This is a very serious problem. I don't think any of us, including myself, are intellectually and emotionally prepared to fully recognize what has been done by these shots, but likely what's coming down the pipeline of the turrent of autoimmune and cancers in the long run. And this is if they stop the shots tomorrow. But they're not. The Moderna CEO said this is, they're, they're going to do this for everything. Every other medication based around mRNA is in development. Their current market capitalization is nearly $58.7 billion, brought to you by taxpayers. They have so much more coming in the pipeline. Think of any other issue that affects human life that is more devastating in its magnitude. Try to find anything that that rises to that level. Abortion will not come there. Yet to the extent Republicans will talk about abortion, none of them will talk about the pharma genocide and the government democide. All the ways that needs to be shut down immediately, uh, uh, liability needs to be imposed on them, the entire regulatory process needs to be changed, we need full discovery, Full commissions, federal, state, laws protecting the people, 
It's not even on the radar. Name me a candidate candidate even talking about this. At best, okay, I, I, I oppose mandates. But what do you do? First of all, the, the mandates are still there in many respects, but what do you do when you have a torrent of technologies coming down the pipeline that's going to be endorsed by almost everyone's private doctor? They have no enlightened consent. So even if it's not a downright mandate, they're stuck. It's so bizarre that we're living through a genocide that people cannot see in plain sight. It's right there, and it's embodied through the spectacular anomaly of someone running for U.S. Senate who literally cannot speak, evidently has trouble walking too, and no one even notices it, and the other side won't even call it out. Why it's happening. So that's where we're going to explore the prism of the shot heard around the world, but not heard around the world through the life of one person and, a mo- and his mother who was injured by the shot. First, very apropos, our sponsor today, um, today is about a Florida family. Well, our sponsor today is another Florida family, the Pittmans, a Christian homeschooling family of entrepreneurs. And when I say entrepreneurs, I mean beginning at, at age 10, 12. QP Soap. So you go to qpgoatsoap.com, you will get the healthiest, best-smelling soap that you will ever use in the shower. Um, QP stands for Quinn Pittman, a 15-year-old homeschooling Christian kid who always knew he had a dream of owning goats. He originally wanted to make cheese, and then he realized it was more logistically uh, profitable to make soap. So they make goat soap. You know, there are so many pro-inflammatory ingredients, not just in what you eat, but what you put on your skin. It all goes in your body. Uh, this stuff is all natural. They have palm oil, which is rich in vitamins. Uh, smells heavenly. It literally is almost like a air freshener in the bathroom, which believe me, when you have three boys like mine, you definitely need that with what's going on in there. And then the two-year-old girl is now uh, toilet training. But I digress. Um, you know, the mother, Dana, who's been a long, long-time Blaze subscriber, uh, she does a lot of the soap making with Quinn. Uh, ben, the dad, he deals with the business operations. An 11-year-old little Grace wraps the soap. What a family business. Folks, stop supporting Dove and Zest. By the way, look at their Twitter. Dove is, like, full of all these progressive craziness. Um, and support a homeschooling family, Quinn, Wants to build up his business. No plans to go to college. Good for him. Um, he's planning on building his business, working farm life, hunting, fishing. Who would you rather support? Support one of our own. QPGoatSoap.com. Promo code Daniel for 10% off. So as we introduce our special guest today, I was just thinking recently, I used to always politically be on the opposite side of ambulance chasers. I always hated these ads when I was a kid. Oh, you might have died and, you know, gotten your body destroyed by this and that therapeutic. And you would watch pharmaceutical companies pay out millions of dollars, often based on extremely, extremely rare side effects. But that was part of doing business in America. I mean, we were a very um, litigious society. And, you know, any little bit of mistake that was made certainly if there was malfeasance but usually there was no malfeasance they didn't even know about it the 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 hammer of the legal system would come down upon them and there would be so many people so many people in the legal profession looking for victims and yet here we are with a therapeutic that was promoted partnered endorsed distributed marketed funded and then mandated in many circumstances. It was the shot heard around the world in the sense that it was given to 5.5 billion people, many of whom got multiple doses, but then it was the shot that wasn't heard around the world. In that so many people in plain sight are getting injured in over 14,000 categories of maladies in theirs, And yet, there is no sense of urgency from anyone in the political system I'm seeing to immediately put into place policies that certainly stop the bleeding, take it off the market, punish those responsible, 
uh, put a put a you know stopgap on any future iterations of this technology, but then to study not just the sudden deaths, but the 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 living, the people who were already injured, but the people who might be in the future from the long term side effects, how to diagnose what sort of diagnostics you need, and what sort of treatment you need. So we're going to try to go through all of this with Heather Hudson and her doctor, Dr. Eduardo Balbona, who are both with us today. Uh, Heather, a little bit about her. She was a medical office administrator uh, who over the years learned to research medical issues, focusing in particular on helping medically fragile children. You could follow her at um, A Mother's Ansem, A Mother's Ansem on Twitter and Substack. Her 21-year-old son, you know, had to get the shot, was going to school in Arizona. Uh, she's from Gainesville, Florida, and immediately got a pulmonary embolism, all sorts of blood disorders. And what's shocking, and Heather's going to come on in a minute, Heather and God are my, are my witness. When I spoke to her yesterday, and we we're talking about the diagnosis that her son finally got, this anti uh, phospholipid syndrome, antiphospholipid syndrome. I said, "Hey, did you check that 38-page Pfizer document to see if Pfizer knew about that as no later than February 28th, 2021?" Because I did that with Stephanie DeGarry. I said, "Hey, did you check that?" And she didn't. That rare form of inflammatory demyelination, whatever it was, and it was there. And for for those of you who want to follow along as I'm saying this. It's the 5.3.6 Cumulative Analysis of Post-Authorization Adverse Event Reports. It's a 38-page document. That's how you'll know you got it. On page 30, so the last eight pages, this is the first page of it, it has, I want to say, 1,300, 1,400 categories of injuries that they documented and were aware of. And I did a word search for it, antiphospholipid syndrome. It is absolutely there. Unbelievable, such a rare autoimmune disorder, debilitating. Um, her son now walks with a cane, healthy 21-year-old. This is what they knew. They knew about this. With her today is Dr. Eduardo Balbona of Jacksonville. Um, I know a lot of you are going to want to hear this because a lot of you are vaccine injured. He received his MD from the Medical College of Georgia, completed specialty training in internal medicine at the National Naval Medical uh, Center in Bethesda. Uh, he served as a naval officer and physician at, in the U.S. Capitol, providing medical care to members of Congress, members of the Supreme Court. Um, he has served on the as the president of the Wellness Councils of Florida. And really, his specialty seems to be in detection and diagnosis of various vexing ailments that other people don't want to deal with. Obviously, the vaccine injury is one, but certainly other things as well. So, boy, there is a lot to cover. Heather and Dr. Balbona, thanks so much, both of you, for joining us today at Blaze Media to tell your story. Uh, thank you for having us. We really appreciate it. It's, thank you. Yeah, and I know it's going to be a little bit tough here. We're audio only, so folks, bear with us. We want to hear from both of you. So, Heather, I want to start out just the basic circumstances, the timeline, uh, what happened with your son. Uh, first off, did, did you guys want him to get the shot, or was this kind of a mandate situation? Okay, uh, for my son, I did not want him to have the shot. Uh, I was against it. However, you know, he's an adult, and, and, you know, he made that decision. He did quite a bit of research into that and spoke with people who would know, authorities on this um, vaccine that would know, and he, uh, he did so. He was about ready to go to college in Arizona, and we knew he would need that, uh, the shot for that. And in addition, he was taking on a part-time job where um, he would not get hired if he didn't have the vaccine. So there were many factors there. And so that's important for people to understand that, that again, I, I want to make this very clear. Even without a hardcore legal mandate, you had indirect mandates, de facto mandates, and certainly a lack of what uh, the Nuremberg trial attorneys refer to as enlightened consent. And that's the thing. He spoke with people, and they all would have said, yeah, yeah, this is fine, this is fine. Okay, so you got it around summertime 2021. Um, how long after the shot was he injured? Was it after the first, second, and what sort of symptoms did he uh, present with? Okay, so um, he started out after his first shot. He had muscle aches and pains, and we just chopped that up to what the pharmacist said would be expected. 
And I didn't like the way that he was looking, but, um, you know, he was insistent that he was fine. We were in the middle of moving, so he was doing a lot of moving boxes and things that we don't normally do. So aches and pains and tired, we were sort of expecting that. And after the second shot, he started having symptoms that were concerning to me. His hands specifically uh, started getting sores on them and sort of opening up and bleeding um, out of nowhere. And so, uh, you know, I said, you've got to get that looked at. And he did. Um, the um, medical professional said, oh, you know, you just have eczema or something like that. It was far more serious and sinister to me. He started having pain in his right knee. And, um, you know, he put a, a leg brace on for that and, you know, a knee brace and was continuing on with his world. Uh, his hands had some improvement because he was given, I believe, a steroid cream and it looked a little better, but he was he was more tired than I had, I was used to seeing him. And then, um, you know, he did have a, a little bit of a red tinge um, when he coughed up some sputum and he wasn't sure whether that was blood or something that he ate. And so I was getting concerned and, and then eventually within about, I believe about a month after um, his, uh, his second injection, he had a night that was indescribable and un- unfathomable. The pain, the amount of pain that he was in and just not knowing what was taking place, um, it, was, it was agony for me as well. He ended up um, going to the hospital and uh, he was fighting for his life. He was barely able to talk. Um, he was barely able to walk. And he ended up having a large pulmonary embolism, which put pressure on his heart valves. And he had two leaky heart valves. He had inflammation in his heart and blood clotting all throughout his lungs. And he was struggling for his life. And that's uh, where we ended up at that point. So right off the bat, um, and, and and this was a couple days after his first dose. Uh, this is this is about a month. I'm sorry. Uh, right off the bat, he started having the uh, muscle pains and aches and that sort of thing. Yes, got it. So it, so it so, took some time, um, about a month. And and which which version did he get? Can I say this? Yes. Okay. So he had Pfizer. Okay, Pfizer. I mean, again, I mean, they're all kind of all the same in this respect. Um, so a couple right. weeks later, pulmonary embolism. So. Uh, First off, Dr. Balbona, how often do you see 21-year-olds get pulmonary emboli? Well, this was unprovoked. I mean, essentially, this is unheard of without some underlying hypercoagulable state. Uh, there was no family history. There was no drug that would predispose them. There was no activity like long trips or anything to, to cause increased thrombosis. It seemed like his symptoms were temporarily associated with the vaccine, and to be honest, they came in saying, I think the vaccine hurt him. And my you know, initial impression was, well, let's consider that. I think they were very frustrated when they went to other physicians. And other physicians just refused to consider that possibility. And, so they wouldn't uh, even know, consider that. No. And I, this was in the summer think, when we knew, we all, everyone knew that it was associated with blood clotting at, at, a, at a very minimum um, so, so Heather, describe the ensuing months before you met, uh, Dr. Balbona, who actually diagnosed your son and, and pinpointed what was wrong. So you have a, you know, blood clotting, which is life-threatening in the lungs, um, heart valve problems. Describe the symptoms, describe what their response was, and then how they, as we seem to hear with almost every one of these cases... <laughs> They made it about COVID, which he didn't have. Correct. Yes. Okay. So even in the hospital, the initial hospitalization, and I knew enough about medicine. He had what's called um, thrombocytopenia and thrombosis. So thrombosis is the blood clot. Thrombocytopenia is the uh, the bleeding. He was coughing up blood, uh, quite a bit of blood from his lungs. And so um, I spoke with the physicians there, and I asked them if we could consider that this was a um, a reaction to the vaccine, and I was treated as if I was a toddler, Um, and I I did have some 
uh, medical experience, but I also had a family member that um, would be able to speak with them with some authority and talk to them and maybe help guide them. Uh, they were unwilling to speak with him. They were unwilling to do the testing that would definitively tell us whether he had COVID or not. Um, and I will tell you, they did the uh, nasal swab testing continuously at the hospital, and, and he tested negative each time. Um, we, he was expelled from that hospital, I believe, within about five days, uh, still with bleeding lungs, um, active pulmonary embolism, and absolutely no answers from them. No answers on how to treat a pulmonary embolism, no answers on what caused it, and they thought it might have been COVID. Oh, they were insistent that it was was COVID, and their billing codes for their lab tests, they, they built for COVID. They actually built it for COVID, even though he tested negative. He was 21 years old. You don't usually see pulmonary emboli with them, even even with you know COVID. Um, wow. And, and, and again, I think it's important people recognize this wasn't right at the beginning, like January. Wasn't this, you're talking about maybe August 2021? October. October, October 2021. 2020. I mean, the number of papers that came out on the circulatory problems from the shots were, were through the roof. Theirs was through the roof. Um, V-Safe, which we just know about now, but they, the CDC knew about, um, was through the roof. Um, and even J&J, ready in the spring, was temporarily dinged because it was uh, associated with thrombocytopenia. So, I mean, it wasn't like it was from left field, but they looked at you like you were from Mars. So, um, but, but yeah. you know, even if it weren't from the... Here, here's what I'm disturbed about before we get back to the vaccine. We've done a lot of shows describing the state of American hospitals and even putting aside um, the cultish devotion to these shots. Okay, so it's not the shot, it's something else, but be it as it may, make sure he gets good treatment. It doesn't sound like he was getting proper treatment you know, regardless of what caused it. Um, yes, you're right. His treatment was subpar for sure. Um, I had a lot of experience in hospitals and uh, hospital days with um, my other son and some of the patients that I had worked with uh, when I was younger. And I knew what good hospital treatment was. I knew what advocacy in a hospital was. I had advocated myself for several children. And I what I saw was just unfathomable and it was unprecedented. It was it was nothing like what our American health system used to be. So just just describe briefly, um, you know, what you're experiencing. You know how it's like to have a 21 year old son. Uh, you know, anyone who has one. I'm um, I'm I'm younger, so my oldest is 12. But you can imagine a young, vibrant male all of a sudden has to walk with a cane. Uh, his body is full of blood clots, heart problems. It seems to present itself maybe a little bit neurologically too, autoimmune responses, all sorts of issues. Describe what you lived with for those ensuing months until you met Dr. Balbona. Okay, so um, he was put on steroids in the hospital. I believe that was at my insistence. Um, it was very hard to get him the medications that, that I knew that would help him. And I knew that once the steroid... Um, you know, had, would come out of your system, you know, he would, he would go downhill again and downhill meant fighting for his life. Blue lips, blue fingers, barely able to breathe. My husband and I had to literally put one shoulder under each arm and walk him into facilities so that he could get some temporary treatment. And what I call it is bargaining. I bargained for the treatment. Um, most of them said, we're just going to try and send him to a bigger hospital or a different hospital. He needs to be hospitalized. And our experience was that when we went into the hospital, they would give him temporary treatment and then expel him. And so we went through a total of, I believe, three hospitals, three urgent cares, and three different specialists. And during that period of time, um, most of them were trying to insist that this came from COVID. They continued to test he continually was negative for COVID. So it was ag- agony. Again, I, I want I want our listeners to kind of visualize visualize this. Even the few people who are talking about the sudden deaths. So as as horrific as that is, well, if someone's dead, they're dead. I mean, you want to make sure other people don't die. But there's a whole number of people. I mean, thousands upon thousands of people. We see it in the disability numbers. We see it in the medical billing. Um, you know, the German data. It's all over. There are people that have all sorts of circulatory problems if they don't die from it, um, and they need treatment. Well, 
you can't treat something you refuse to recognize exists and you certainly can't diagnose something that you don't believe is happening. So there's no diagnostics. A lot of people are going through this where they have, you know, it's not just kind of these like puzzling ailments that we see all the time, but but things like like heart ailments, circulatory problems, neurological problems uh, that should be easy to diagnose and they still can't get treatment. Um, so, so uh, doctor, I want, I want to switch back to you here. Describe, you know, just as, as much as you can in layman's terms, how you were able to diagnose Heather's son, what sort of tools you use that might be useful information to other people and what exactly the ailment was. And then I want to get into what causes it. So take as much time as you okay. need. Um, well, I think part of the, the problem uh, that Cody had was that he kept being prejudged rather than just observed. Uh, when you just looked at him, you could tell that, you know, he's very sick. I mean, his heart rate was racing. You know, his lips were, were blue. It, this was obviously a very serious systemic problem. Um, I think a lot of the physicians, when it comes to matters COVID, have kind of made their decision and they've stopped listening to or looking at the actual patient. Uh, The key to to sorting out what was going on with Cody was simply listening to him. He he knew what was wrong. Uh, You could look at him and say, yes, something's really wrong here. And all you had to do was was look for some kind of a systemic problem. Um, We looked for inflammation. We found plenty. We looked for uh, clotting. We found plenty. Uh, One of the... uh, syndromes of abnormal clotting is the antiphospholipid syndrome. He had been injected with phospholipids. It seemed reasonable that the immune system might not like that. And his uh, numbers were literally off the scale. They were greater than 10 times the upper limits of normal. So they could not be measured. They were so high. Um, so it was very obvious this was the problem. And uh, we repeated them because their guidelines repeat them to make sure it's just not some you know, random reaction. They were still sky high. Uh, this syndrome is often very uh, deadly, and it's a very serious problem. It's a kind of a tragedy that he'd been through the hands of so many physicians without being listened to. And I think that's the key, that he's, you know, if you look at your patient and you listen to them and you realize that your your responsibility is to that person in front of you. It's not to the government. It's not to any guideline from some agency. It's to try and help this person. Uh, then you, you come to the right place. Uh, he's much better. He's still not completely well. And the diagnosis, I think, was informed by knowing what the vaccines are. I mean, the vaccines are essentially... Uh, gene therapy that we've been trying to get to work for 20 years and it's failed you know many times because of toxicity Uh, we slip in the gene in a little lipid bubble that is made of phospholipids that are exactly like the covering of all your cells of all the lining of your arteries of all the lining or the coverings of all your nerves and when you slip that in we've made changes to that lipid uh, covering so that it's not the same as a natural phospholipid. And the peg is part of that. It stabilizes the, the lipid membrane so it doesn't fall apart. So when, when you so talk about a peg, I just want to slow it down, a peg, polyethylene glycol, you're saying that's exactly. the 800-pound gorilla in the room. So it's not just the payload that that those lipid nanoparticles are delivering um, the coating to produce the spike. And when everyone knows that the spike is a toxin, the spike is very thrombotic. Um, sticks to the blood like Velcro and creates all these problems. So you're saying there's a separate problem that if you're going to use an mRNA-based platform and then you're going to need the lipid nanoparticles to spread it throughout the body, you're saying even if it has nothing to do with the spike protein of a coronavirus, they use it for another vaccine, they use it for another therapeutic to treat another type of ailment, but you're going to be using – they're using this polyethylene glycol and you're saying that causes – the antiphospholipid syndrome. So your immune system is actually very clever. It's very wise. It's had uh, eons of evolution to get better at identifying uh, substances that are not you. They don't belong in your body. Uh, all the failures of 
this type of gene therapy have been from the immune system saying, no, thank you. I, this is not me. And these kind of immune reactions are common. The problem we have is that there's a lot of interest in having this work. And there are situations where may, maybe this is appropriate. If you have terminal cancer, then the, the cost benefit, the risk benefit yep. ratio may be safer using it. But if you have a healthy 21 year old, if you have a child that's healthy and you're going to give them something that might kill them or disable them for the rest of his life, well, we should know about that. As you said, from the Nuremberg um, trials, that's informed consent. That's part of knowing what they're putting into your body. And that just hasn't happened for whatever reason. There's hundreds of products being developed using the same nanoparticles. The CDC, FDA have granted uh, the makers of this, uh, Pfizer and BioNTech, uh, platform technology status so that you can slip in any kind of gene in the same nanoparticles. So they don't want the nanoparticles to have any problem. Uh, they're going to use this to turn on and off proteins or genes in your body uh, at will. And that's really exciting. There may be a lot of potential for that. But we have to realize that if that's going to kill some people, well, they have to know that. We need to make those decisions, you know, in, yep. in the light of day. And depending on what you're treating, that may or may not be a reasonable trade-off. And if yeah. someone walked into my office using the technology to treat cholesterol, I said, Again, I'm never going to use this drug because <laughs> I'm never going to treat cholesterol this way. Anyway. So this polyethylene glycol, I, I, I want to just go into this a little bit. Um, I'm trying to figure out, again, just basic terms so people could understand. You know, to me, someone presents with pulmonary emboli, emboli and thrombocytopenia, so that sounds very much like the spike protein to me. How were you able to distinguish his condition that, no, it wasn't just the spike protein, it was from that um, lining of the lipid nanoparticle, and you were able to um, diagnose it with this autoimmune disorder, I mean, it's, I'm assuming it's an autoimmune disorder, this antiphospholipid syndrome that, again, Pfizer seemed to recognize in their document. So his, his symptoms were very systemic. So if you're looking at a clotting protein, that's usually kind of one uh, system. It's your lungs and your heart that are, are hit. He was being hit everywhere, his skin, his nerves, his arterial system. And it's very hard to get a disease that is so uh, widespread. And unfortunately, the, uh, the lipid nanoparticles, they're on every cell in the body. I mean, it's very widespread. So that is one of the clues that, that came up. Um, his numbers were really high. If I had to advise people on how to screen for this in a suspect case, an anti-cardiolipid antibody is usually a, a very simple test. Any lab can run it. And, uh, you know, if it's high, then you need to be seen by someone who specializes it. It's often either a hematologist or a rheumatologist. It's an autoimmune disease. It's an so this I but, find fascinating because in my non-medical mind, I would decompartmentalize the injuries. All right, so you got the blood clotting, you have the neurological disorders, and then you have the autoimmune. But you're saying this is a type of autoimmune disorder that caused systemic clotting. That's right. It goes everywhere. And I often tell patients that we tend to silo diseases. You have diabetes or hypertension or cholesterol, but all those diseases are in the same body. There's no silos in your body. They all impact the endothelium, which is the lining of your arteries, uh, the lining of, of all kinds of tissues. So, you know, you have to look at someone kind of holistically. They're, they're one organism. And yes, you can have problems that are very specific to one system and a, a pure clotting protein uh, problem usually is when you have a systemic autoimmune disease it's very diffuse so people come in and they they have a list of 30 problems the the reaction from the doctor is okay this doesn't make any sense they're just crazy but we say well maybe it's just not the kind of problem we see commonly so I, I'm not Sherlock Holmes here, but I'm just thinking as you're talking, you know, again, I, I think a lot of people know about the spike protein, but let's say they go on to a flu or or even, you know, just a, a different type of technology. Like you say, they want to get something throughout the body and code your body and you're not dealing with a spike protein. But 
I believe Borla told um, Bloomberg News that there's something like 180 ingredients in this shot. Um, the lipid yeah. nanoparticles will be involved in this platform. There are so many ingredients. So I'm thinking, wow, like you said, the, the immune system's going to have surveillance and it's potentially not going to like a lot of that. And this is like Dr. Urso always says, like a garlic shaker. It's designed to get every single inch of your body break, every blood barrier, brain barrier, you know, every single thing. It will get everywhere. Boy, you really got to make sure every one of those materials will work properly with every body if you're going to preemptively uh, use it as a preventative treatment for every human being alive. I mean, am I kind of getting the gist of your concern correct? Yeah. Well, the other problem is the the uh, standards that the government gave Pfizer was a purity of 50%. So half the vaccine, who knows what's in it? And we know it has uh, little micro-RNAs that are coding for something. We don't know what they are. Uh, the, the impurities in the vaccine that was delivered and accepted uh, the government, by the contract, is not allowed to test those. It's not allowed to, to examine those. And the truth is, for half the vaccines, we don't know what's in there, and we don't know what the micro RNAs, which we know cause lots of problems when when they've been used in other studies. Those are being injected, in, and it's like a you know a roulette wheel of what you're going to get. I mean, it's not it's nuts. That's what I call it is a roulette, roulette wheel. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and and Heather, if if you could just speak up a little bit, I want to get back to you. Sure. Um, you know, so your your concern obviously as a mother is people need to know about this. That we estimate several hundred thousand people in the United States likely died from the shots, and several million were likely pretty severely injured. However, you want to. Um, define that with different measures that we have. And, you know, we've run those numbers before. That's horrific as kind of like the opening act. But I think the concern you're saying is that this stuff is long term. If you're worried about autoimmune responses, that could that could hit you later and not immediately. So people need to know how to diagnose this. Is, is that kind of your campaign right now to, to raise awareness? Yes, it is. Um, so I've done quite a bit of research on this. And so I'm, I'm going to refer to what I've learned by watching some of Dr. Robert Malone's work. And so he goes into the delayed reactions. And something that he says that's very simple to understand is that the reason that we have drug trials uh, that span over three to four years is because sometimes the body does not have these reactions until those time frames. So you could just be going along in your life and then all of a sudden have something happen to you similar to what my son did. And it is not okay. It is a roulette wheel. And by the way, Fauci himself said in a 1998 congressional hearing regarding an AIDS vaccine exactly that point. He said it could appear very good. And then, you know, years later, boom, you get hit with a bunch of issues. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but he, he said pretty much the same thing. And that was always standard um standard medical thought that you just don't rush something like this. But again, it wasn't rushed. It was worse than that. They knew about it and didn't care. I can't believe we found this disorder. So, so Heather, um, I want to, you know, zoom back. I want to get back to the treatment because I know a lot of people will be interested in that. But before that, just on the human level. So do you have any support, any people in your community, people Look and 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 you know it's it's horrific when it happens to anyone, but certainly someone that young. When you see that they're immobile, they they can't walk so well. Uh, they're they have long term disability from the shot. Is anyone reaching out to you, or are you kind of like the redheaded stepchild? Okay, um, so to address what happened to my son, and then what happened to myself in in this journey, I'll, I'll be fast about what happened to my son. Um, when his peers and his place of employment found out that he had a vaccine injury, they dropped him completely. He was canceled from their world, and he was fighting for his life in the hospital over and over, and he had absolutely no support. Um, as far as my family and what I have done to work to get this information out, um, I have seen a great deal of support, um, first through the FLCCC, and um, I have spent most of my summer um, talking with Betsy Ashton about these issues. Um, she has brought 
Dr. Pierre Corey into um, the discussion on um, what I have to say and what happened with my son. They've been extremely supportive. And then, of course, you know, um, Dr. Tess Laurie, who's world-renowned, um, she um, she published my, my article, what I had written about this subject. Uh, four hours later, Dr. Malone came through and he posted on his substack information about the, um, the anaphylaxis and the nature of the um, uh, PEG. So I think the support has been worldwide. In addition to that, um, there is an organization called MN Team Humanity that works with uh, Brooke Jackson and Kim Witzak, who have both come on board and supported me. Um, I just have this huge team of people that have come and said, we need to get this information out. Um, this is not just a peg allergy, like a lot of the doctors will um, point to. And it is more than that. What it is, is there's there can be crossover reactions. And one of the girls in that particular team pointed out that, for instance, you can have an allergy to ragweed and then maybe four or five different um, fruits. Uh, and it's a crossover reaction. So if you have a, a reaction to ragweed, you are, you are probably going to have a reaction to cantaloupe, for instance. And mm-hmm. so what happens is your body sometimes doesn't recognize um, the one toxin, and it goes straight towards another. For instance, in my son's case, what um, what we have found is so the PEG obviously was something that his body was not used to. We don't see PEG injected into humans. It, it is used in lotion, etc. So in his instance, uh, the body said, I don't like PEG, um, and his antibodies decided that it was such a close uh, relative the um, phospholipid that it launched an attack against the phospholipids and we ended up with a, a near-death um, situation mm. for him. So again, the you know, the audio is a little bit tepid today, but so people could hear PEG, polyethylene glycol, um, that is what you believe caused the antiphospholipid syndrome, which again, you know, kudos doctor for diagnosing that because Pfizer diagnosed that. Um, page 30 of their document, they knew about it. Uh, think about that February, February 2021. That is before almost any person under 60, unless they were in a healthcare, maybe. But other than that, uh, got the shots. Uh, this could have all been prevented. This is all systemic. So, so Dr. Balbona, um, I, I get flooded with emails people that get pericarditis, people that have all these neurological issues, the migraines and the tinnitus and the brain fog that won't go away. And I know these are all different ailments. Do you have any advice of what sort of tests people need to run that would reveal some of the more common injuries that you're seeing? Sure. Um, So this is new. I mean, a lot of doctors are going to struggle with this because we really have not seen these kind of uh, syndromes, I would say, in the past. And the medical establishment. I've been to several cardiology meetings, um, American College of Cardiology. They don't say a word about vaccine injury. They don't say a word about the pericarditis or the myocarditis. It's kind of business as usual. The last meeting I went to was uh, just for the vaccine injured. It was from the FLCCC. <laughs> and they have very, uh, very interesting, uh, all, you know, scientific, uh, perspectives, uh, Ryan Cole has biopsies from the heart, and you can uh, see he, he uh, actually stains it for spike protein. You can see the spike protein in the heart, and then he stains it for the other proteins of the virus, like the nucleocapsid uh, protein, and it's not there. So this is not from the virus. This is from the vaccine. Mm. And they have, I mean, just indisputable ev- evidence that the vaccine is harming uh, from the clots inside, and the CDC, to its discredit, is not releasing any of the autopsy data. They have all the data. They're keeping a secret, which is, in my view, a crime. I mean, that's that's the public's information, the uh, the information that they're they're keeping away from us in terms of vaccine injury. I mean, that all should be public, and there's no credible reason for it not to be. In terms of 
uh, trying to help these patients, they have uh, different syndromes and we're teasing them out. Some of them are actually microvascular problems where the, the blood vessels that we don't see, the very small blood vessels, have been uh, inflamed and are kind of clotted off to the, make it simple. And, you know, you have to use kind of uh, different kinds of anticoagulants in combination that we normally would not do. In Cody's case, he had a little bit of everything. He had mm. clotting everywhere, so he needed anticoagulants. He had inflammation everywhere, so he needed steroids. He had autoimmune diseases, so we treat it as an autoimmune syndrome, and we use hydroxychloroquine, which is an insanely safe drug that has yep. been this effect of misinformation by our government and by our our medical, you know, um, the New England Journal and JAM. I mean, it's just horrendous that I can't read a journal and trust what it says at this point. I don't know why uh, we've allowed people to be um, dishonest. I mean, they we should demand integrity from physicians, from medical institutions, from hospitals, and I don't care about the virtue signaling of wearing a mask. I care about virtue. And there's been just a dearth of it in the last couple of years. Just be decent. Be a good doctor. The vaccine injured are not the unclean. They're not ignorant. They're not pariahs. They are, they are just people who are hurt and they need care. And that's been locked in all the politics that has surrounded COVID. And doctors, they should be ashamed. I mean, it, it, it's shocking. It, it, no, it's 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 unforgivable, and they need. I mean, the there is a doctor. Uh, I forget his name. He's the head of cardiology at Harvard, who created a false uh, study to attack hydroxychloroquine. He's still there. He's he's still well respected. Funded by he, a porn star, by by the way. Um, the fake, the fake study, and uh, look, we've seen this everywhere. There's an ivermectin study funded by the Gates Foundation. Um, this is it is it is a genocide. It is a genocide on so many fronts. The genocide of the gain of function that created this, and they have more in the pipeline. The 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 genocide of blocking the treatment for it, and the genocide of every therapeutic they use for. By the way, is there some sort of satanic blood lust? I don't mean to get funny here, but if you think about it, the shots cause blood clotting now in multiple pathways, uh, as you're describing, multiple different ways. Um, there was just a study out that pa- from England that Paxlovid could cause blood clots. Olumiant, which they used in the ICUs for COVID, has a black box warning for blood clots. I mean, I don't know what's going on here. I, I don't know why we're not protecting and, and the FDA and the CDC. We need Elon Musk to buy them and take an ax to them. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it, it's just, I don't know how Walensky still has a job. I mean, it's just horrible. It, it is certainly silly hour, and and I definitely appreciate your analysis. I want to follow up on this. We're running out of time, but just to close off, Heather, what is the status quo with your son? Um, how how is he physically and just also you know emotionally? How is he coping with this as you know the, this life altering injury? Um, has it affected his studies? Um, you know, is he still kind of pursuing his career? How 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 is he now? Okay. Um, so we had a really long haul with this, a long vaccine haul. Um, so what happened with him is um, he was pretty sick all the way until maybe August. He started really pushing himself. He still walks with a cane. He has weakness. He falls out of the blue on a regular basis at least once a day, if not maybe two times or more. Um, he does have uh, the neuropathy um diagnosis along with his other diagnosis so he his whole system has been affected wow he is pushing himself he is his mother's son he is not stoppable and he is going to go places he has put himself in college and he's getting straight a's despite his illness and his teachers i'm sorry his professors work with him they know his situation and they have embraced him we have become very strong through this, although we were kicked in the teeth over and over again for people that you would just not imagine. We had to make a whole new group of people because everybody else are lost to us. They just did not want to accept that vaccine injury was real. 
It's you're you're a threat to to the religion, but the good news is the tide is turning. Um, we look forward to hopefully hopefully you could come before uh, you know Senator Ron Johnson, who will be reelected, and he'll be the chairman of the subcommittee on investigations, and he plans on honing in on exactly um, this stuff, the treatment, the vaccine injury. Um, so at least there we'll, we will have a hearing, and hopefully in the broader state of Florida a pretty good governor there again heather god bless Mm -hmm. you for you know persevering through this on behalf of your son and dr eduardo balbona uh thanks for being so innovative at at a time when everyone's closing their hearts minds and eyes and brains and we need more like you we really look forward to having both of you back again thank you very much thank you let's save some lives so folks i'm just heartbroken by all of this because as Terrible as it is to hear this situation, you know this is happening to countless thousands of others. It's the same story, that you have a young person get slammed by the shot by ailments that are directly identified as consequences of the shot in multiple different places. Doctors refuse to see it. They lie and they actually blame it on COVID. They don't properly treat it either way. The person languishes forever. They're they're not just not helped, but somehow viewed as like, even if they weren't anti-vax, because as witnessed by the fact that they got it, they're viewed as anti-vax by having a vaccine injury. So they're treated like like every, like everyone else who would be. And there's just so few people willing to treat this. There are so many legislative items that speak to this that we need. First of all, we need to protect doctors so they can speak out. We need to encourage them more. Break the monopoly on licensure and, and board certifications. Start going after some of these boards in, in the states, and obviously the medical licensing is the state governments. Red states need to directly, in, in fact, encourage doctors to probe uh, vaccine injury. States and the federal government have a responsibility to pay for diagnostics and treatment of vaccine injury. Period. Full stop. I don't care how much money it costs. Money doesn't matter anyway. Suddenly we're going to become fiscally conservative on this. They spend literally between the Federal Reserve and Congress $10 trillion on COVID. So now we're not, you know, including funding what caused these injuries. Now we're not going to fund treatment for it. Um, I, I No one's talking about this. And then also this just biblical obfuscation, biblical level of obfuscation, how you could have it right in front of you. And everyone will just refuse to see it. Um, Josh Josh Gutzko put out on Twitter, his great Twitter account, uh, it's uh, at JoshG99. Germany's Federal Institute for Population Research. They literally admit, quote, there is a strong association between the onset of vaccination programs and the fertility decline nine months after. Everyone sees it. Everyone knows that we're having well beyond standard deviation Declines in fertility everywhere. We know that. And they also admitted it wasn't because of like lack of employment. Maybe sometimes unemployment could cause people to not have as many kids or or COVID itself. They ruled it out. But yet, at the same time, they say, d- despite the fact that implementation of programs in both Germany and Sweden coincide very well with a distinct change in fertility levels exactly nine months later, fertility rates remained at reduced level during the entire first half of 2022, right? That nine-month window after when most, you know, picture most people in Europe would have been getting the jab in their, you know, people, women in their 20s, 30s, 40s, whatever, roughly during that, you know, summer of 2021, so it showed up right nine months later in 2022. They still conclude, nah, it was a reaction to the changes in life circumstances that were anticipated as societies were to open up. And as some prospective parents may have postponed a decision until after securing a vaccination for themselves. So like, no, they might have waited to have kids until they were vaccinated because they were so scared of COVID. I mean, it's just, I, I, I don't know what to say. We, we have this covered from every micro macro angle pathophysiologically pharmacovigilance case studies you know observational studies clinical trials the ingredients the 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 mechanisms of action the death data the medical billing data the surveys 
it all paints the same picture. And again, Pfizer had this during the clinical trials. They knew it, they documented it, and they unleashed it as, a, as an act of bioterrorism. I think after this show, you'll understand why I have just a little bit of a different perspective than all of my colleagues in conservative media on this election. But nonetheless, I still believe it is an exciting time. If the Democrats get crushed, which I still hope they do, it will send a message. But that message is meaningless if it's just a talking point on Twitter for the next week, drinking the tears of the libs and owning the libs, rather than actually using that to say, you know what? We're going to shut down this program in all the red states. That's what we need to hear from. That's what I'm going to demand. So next week's going to be a very big week. We're always going to be there to give you the perspective others aren't going to give, but that's important nonetheless. Send me your comments, questions, and concerns. Uh, questions for Dr. Balbona as well, or Heather. Uh, Daniel Horowitz at startmail.com. Daniel Horowitz at startmail.com. Again, make sure to patronize our supporter, qpgoatsoap.com. Promo code Daniel for 10% off. Till next week, hope you guys have a terrific, restful weekend. Gird your loins. It's going to be a big week and month. God bless you all, and thank you for listening.